0: Hi! So this week I want to tell you the story about how I got into baking in the first place. It's one of the most common questions I'm asked. I also have some good news and some bad news about our bakery project. This is Zach Martinucci, and you're listening to Against the Grain. I first told a version of this story a year ago when I was writing Notes on Bread, a blog series designed to answer all the questions I would get from the person bagging my groceries when they saw I had six bags of flour. What do you bake? When did you start baking? How? Is it hard? (laughs) I did my best in the 30 seconds we had in the grocery checkout line, but wanted to give a better answer. This is one of those answers. How did you learn to bake bread? I'm fascinated by where the beginning of this whole story really is, so we'll go back as far as I can think to tell. I have always loved to cook. I think this passion really developed during middle school summers, where I spent hours at home with the cooking channel. It had just separated from the Food Network. I love the personalities and knowledge available to absorb across the network from Alton Brown's practical explanations of kitchen fundamentals to Nigella Lawson's charisma and creativity in gently persuading her brownie batter out to the edges of the pan. There's also a special place in my cooking vocab for Nadia G's Bitchin' Kitchen. These chefs were my guides as I explored the kitchen and slowly developed my own style through countless cooking projects and dinner parties with friends, you know, typical teenage years. I think baking bread in particular was a classic case of third time's the charm until I really got it right. So, one. The story of my chef journey continues in different directions, but this is the first point where bread comes in. I really can't recall my very first loaf, but I imagine it was a baguette. That sounds impressive for a first bread, but it was more of a naive way of thinking I could recreate my favorite bread from the farmer's market. I found a simple baguette recipe from Kelsey Nixon, which would become my go-to. They were all right. There's only so much flavor you can develop with commercial yeast and all-purpose flour, but fresh bread at home beats store-bought any day. I couldn't compare to the farmer's market, but mimicking the real process, folding a coil, tension into the dough, spraying the oven to help the crust, that gave my bread the potential to be great. It felt like my baguettes were in training to one day be worthy of the market. Until then, they were still delicious for morning toast. Two. Years later, inspired by Michael Pollan's book and Netflix original series, Cooked, I had a sudden desire to make or grow my own mother yeast in my fraternity bedroom at UCLA, in time to bake bread when I would return home two weeks later. Mother, as I called her and spelled in all caps, did better as a Snapchat personality than as real yeast. I was fascinated by the idea of raising a living being out of nothing that would later become real food. She would appear in my Snapchat stories with cartoon emoji eyes, executing an elaborate plot to kill me. Some of my friends and my mom were definitely concerned about my commitment to the narrative, but my current fascination with fermentation now makes sense in retrospect. Mother's bread tasted like real bread, but was too dense and dry and just felt homemade in all the wrong ways. My father took care of mother, the yeast, when I was away for the summer. My anthropology thesis brought me to Bologna, Italy to study culinary traditions, which is a long story for another week. Now, during my field work in Italy, I was fortunate to spend one week as a woofer at Caracol. Woofing, or the Worldwide Organization of Organic Farming, is essentially an exchange program where you can work on a farm, really anywhere in the world, um, in exchange for your labor for room and board. And where I happened to stay was more in agritourism and bakery out in the country. So we had fresh bread every day, long meals under the stars, and too many roaming kittens to count. My host and resident baker Lorenzo patiently described to me how yeast works, how it becomes bread, and how I would make my own. I was intimidated by his seemingly 24-7 baking schedule, and decided it wasn't the right time in my life to take on bread baking. So I told my dad back home that he could get rid of mother, the yeast. Rest in peace. In September, I returned to school and began to write my thesis about culinary traditions. I worked for a catering company and private cooking school and took my first job as a personal chef. Cooking quickly became my life, but I had left baking on the farm in Italy. Just months later, over winter break, a serendipitous opportunity presented itself to get hands-on experience with professional baking. My dad's cousin, Michael Faircloth, had just opened a bakery in Lafayette near our home in the San Francisco Bay Area. He had worked for years in bakeries throughout Europe, taught courses in culinary school, and sold authentic French and Italian pastries to his own cult following at local farmers' markets. Having just opened La Chataine in December 2016, our family was eager to help him launch his business, and the constant help of aunts and uncles in the kitchen and at the counter made it seem like a professional family bake sale. For one week, I woke up at 4 a.m., took the train across the bay, and helped Michael and my Terry bake croissants and morning buns and connolly and cookies and beautiful loaves of bread before opening. I mixed doughs, cleaned dishes, burnt my hands on queen Amon's, and shaped giant olive fougasses. I listened to Michael's stories about French baking, spoke Italian with my aunt, drank tea while eating fresh pastries, and tried to soak up as much knowledge as I could. I'm grateful to Lorenzo and Michael for generously and patiently offering their mentorship. Thank you for the explanations, wisdom, chance to try my own hand in the kitchen, and for seeing the humor in me cooking the wrong batch of tomatoes for a catering event. Sorry, Lorenzo. And for flooding your bakery on my third day. Sorry, Michael. Three. I left La Châtaigne with a burning desire to craft my own bread. Michael gave me some of his own mother yeast, which I named Faircloth in his honor, and I set out to acquire the equipment he recommended to me. For hours, I read and reread Chad Robertson's Guide to Basic Country Bread and his Tartine Bakery book. The process seemed so long and mysterious. In the bakery, I had only experienced the same five hour window of the bread's lifetime each day. Now, I was about to be responsible for an entire bread life cycle. I was intimidated, thinking back to Lorenzo's explanation of the 24-7 commitment, but this time I was willing to prove that I was capable. If there's a life lesson here, it's that the moment I gained the confidence to bake was when I accepted that I would make mistakes. This feels silly to say. We're talking about bread. But in my mind, I had not yet made the distinction between one loaf of bread and this being a commitment or a journey. I didn't know if I would have enough time or patience or skill It could go horribly wrong. But wait, the best part is that it is just bread. How wrong could this go? There will be another loaf. That's one of my favorite things about cooking. If the worst thing that happened to you today was your quinoa came out soggy, it was probably still an okay day. And since humans have to keep eating, there will always be a tomorrow for that quinoa. So the journey of becoming a baker began with a single loaf, Two, actually, both named Abernathy as the first of my Westworld baking trials. My friends and I were really into the show at that time. I remember being mesmerized by the sourdough bread coming out of my oven. Taking a step back, I realized that the culmination of my baking experiences created a loaf that was suddenly farmer's market competitive. Abernathy was a miracle, but it was also 10 years in the making. Not every day, but at least as a recurring theme in my life. I just couldn't have foreseen that when I was spending my summers with Ina Garten and Giada De Laurentiis. I was hooked, and so I rearranged my schedule so that my bread that took three days to make could be constantly coming out of the oven in my apartment. I gave it away to friends, brought it everywhere I could just because it had to be shared with the world, and eventually, just a little word got around, just enough that it wasn't only my friends who were interested, and I started selling some bread out of my apartment. I called my brand Centro Cita which means city center in Italian. My project for bringing rustic, rural culinary traditions, like those I had learned from Lorenzo and Michael, into my urban life in Los Angeles. And once I had figured out enough of the bread part, it got to become so much more than just baking. Bread became an excellent canvas for storytelling, a way to share my friends' personalities through unique bread flavors. Sourdough became... Picnic centerpieces, dinner party themes, birthday gifts, a tool used to ask for a promotion from your boss, true story, not just because people liked the way it tasted, but because we all started to see how food could play a little different role in our lives. I went to baking school, moved to Denver, and then Rebel Bread was born. I was inspired by that taste of changing the way people see their food, and that's why Rebel is dedicated to challenging the relationship people have with their bread. This baking thing was something I had approached from different angles, and still do. Given up, tried again, not in a persevere and you will succeed kind of way, more of a revisiting an old book to find new meaning experience. And here we are, talking about the story I had not realized would have such an impact on my life. An adventure, a love story, an instruction manual, and a life lesson in bread. So coming from miles away. So now to some updates. Okay, I have big good news and bad news. Bad news first. We don't have a bakery. It turns out the coffee shop that we were going to partner with had some other things to focus on and can't accommodate us right now. It was quite the blow to receive early this week, especially since we've been talking for a month and found out just minutes before we were supposed to have a meeting to talk about building plans. I'm still a big fan of the coffee shop and hope they do take this next year to do what's best for them. We'll be doing the same. I'll say that at first I was discouraged. Having a bakery space was a big part of what I thought it meant to be making it right now, and why I felt compelled to start giving you project updates through this podcast in the first place. It turns out that partnership was just a nice first chapter that came to a close, but the book continues on. That's just it. I thought that, you know, the bakery would crumble without a kitchen, but hey, it's a setback, and now we get to look for a new kitchen. The first time we weren't even looking, I just walked in for coffee and came out with a potential lease. Now we're looking for a space that's going to be great for us. And I've learned that there's still so much to be done before we even have a real space. That's the good news. The good news is in the same week that we lost our location, we also decided to start selling bread in the community, and I already have two willing businesses that will be hosting Rebel Bread pop-ups in the coming weeks. I have always believed in making the most with what you have, where you are. I have a small home kitchen, some ideas, and some community connections. So starting next week, I'll be bringing a little rebel bread table to coffee shops to give out samples, have some conversations about bread, and try to sell a few loaves to see what Denver is interested in. And then in the coming weeks, bringing it to yoga studios, breweries, antique shows, barbershops, places where people gather but aren't necessarily thinking about food. Because even out of my home kitchen, it's time to see if we can give people a new relationship with their bread. My theme this week, like the quote I literally have written on my whiteboard, is about opportunistic advantage. You start to see the potential only once you get out there. So I don't know about you, but I'm getting out there. It's kind of like how that first loaf of sourdough made me realize that this was going to be a journey, and it was okay to make mistakes. I just had to start baking. The part I left out in that story was that I spent three days, three days, reading the tartine bread book, studying it, making schedules for myself, trying to eliminate anything I thought would go wrong. After a few days, I realized I just had to go for it. It's just bread. And you only start to figure it out once you start baking. And it still is just bread. You start to see the potential only once you get out there. And when you're out there, maybe things are different than you thought they would be, and then you get to change and try again and make something even better the next time. That's the point of the bread pop ups. So, if you're in Denver and want some bread, please follow Rebel Bread Denver on Instagram to find out where our first pop ups are going to be in the coming weeks. And if you're not in Denver, you can follow anyways, and then think about what your just bread is. What's the thing you've been thinking so long about and should probably just get out there and start doing? If you want to share it with me, you can message me on Instagram or send an email to zach at rebelbread.com. I'd love to hear what you're up to. Next week, I'd like to tell you more about what I learned studying food culture in Italy and what we can all learn about tradition and authenticity. And then let's talk about what I learned by getting out there in the world. Have a great week. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you to Free Music Archive and Shilpa Ray for this track, Got a Heart Full of Dirt.